0: All right, guys, welcome to Salt City. My name's Drew, for those of you who don't know me, and we are continuing this series that we've been in Galatians so far. And this morning, we're sort of reaching the climax of the book of Galatians as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And what we've been seeing throughout Galatians is that there's essentially two ways of rebelling against God. One of those ways is to pretend like you're keeping all the rules, And the other way is to pursue your own pleasure. And I saw this reality sort of vividly illustrated before my eyes at our dinner table not too long ago. So I have twin daughters, Ari and Hazel, and we have this rule, sort of a rule, in our house that at school you're supposed to drink white milk four days a week and pick one day a week to drink chocolate milk. You know, seems like a pretty good idea, so you don't get cavities. So our kids kind of joke with each other, like, hey, did you drink your chocolate milk because you don't want to drink it too much because then you'll have to get shots in your mouth because some of them have had cavities. And so one of our, our daughters sort of represents this, this pretending camp, and this came to, uh, to fruition one night when I just asked our kids, I said, so how's that been going, like the chocolate milk, white milk thing? And this daughter kind of chimes in, and she goes, it's been going great. I've been drinking white milk Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then on Fridays, I have chocolate milk. And then she smiled, and you could almost see, like, the ding off of her tooth. Like, aren't you so proud of me? And I'm saying in the back of my mind, there's no way she's actually doing that. And then my, my other twin daughter looks, looks at me, and she just immediately just hangs her head. And she just goes, Dad. Dad. I drink chocolate milk every single day. And she and then like her bottom lips cover and she's just like, and I can't stop. Just tastes so good. And, and even as you hear that story, you can sort of spiritually put yourself into one of those camps. Somebody you take tends to be like a pretender, act like you have all your stuff together, put your Sunday best, put the smile on, come to church, do the religion thing, or you're the pleasure seeker. You're like, but I can't stop, God. It just feels so good. And what we're going to get called into this morning is a new way of life that we've sort of been alluding to throughout the book of Galatians, but we're going to find that really freedom isn't found in any of those lifestyles. It's actually found in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the big idea that sort of pulls everything together this morning is that only the Spirit brings true freedom. What we're really looking for is found in this inner renewal that comes from relationship to the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see three results of walking in this new kind of life this morning, walking in the Spirit. The first of those results is that the Spirit sets us free From the law. So let's read again in verses 16, 17, and 18. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so, right away, I think this passage jives with our experience as Christians. There's this sort of rumor going around that you become a Christian, and once you become a Christian, you just immediately want to only and always obey God and do what's pleasing to him. But those of us with any experience at all know that's not true. That once you receive Christ— The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, but what actually begins is a battle. And maybe you haven't ever been able to put the words to this, but what Paul's describing here is this battle between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. So your flesh isn't like your flesh and bones, not your body. It's actually this inner corrupt human nature that all of us have. And he says that that human corrupt nature has desires, strong desires, to rebel against and disobey God. But when we become a Christian, it's not just our flesh that dwells within us, we also have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So it's like you get a perfect roommate that moves in to your soul. And that perfect roommate gets in conflict with your very corrupt and sinful flesh. And so the Holy Spirit only and always desires to do the will of God. And so, what actually happens when you become a Christian, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, before you come to learn how to walk by the Spirit, is a battle. You used to not be convicted about your lifestyle. You come to be a Christian, and you learn that there's another person living inside you who can be grieved by what you do. And so, you enter into this battle. And so, what Paul says is in order to be victorious in this battle, you have to learn to walk by the Holy Spirit. And here's the first place that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. Paul says, he's going to lead you out from under the law. Okay, so the law is the law of God. It's also written on our conscience, and it's also present in our relationships. So the law is what we are. Ought to do. What we know we should do, but we don't often follow through on. And so when you're born, let me illustrate this for you. We're going to put this up on the screens. This is the situation that we're born into. We've got God who has given us the law, and we are under the law in the sense that we're trying to obey the law to make our relationship with God right, or we're giving up on obeying the law because we feel like that's an impossibility. And so the universal human condition is this, maybe it's a vague feeling or maybe it's a more piercing feeling of guilt. I have fallen short. There is something wrong with me. You'll hear people sort of at a street level. Nobody's perfect. And what they're acknowledging is that no one is perfect in relationship to God's perfect standard. So what Paul would say is, in this sense, we are imprisoned or held captive by the law. The very things that we want to do, it's actually an impossibility for us to do. And we have this echo in our soul of a former time in the history of humanity, namely in the Garden of Eden, where people walked with God. And the construction then was a little bit different. Let me illustrate this for you. During that time, people had direct access to God because there was no sin. And so God was in direct relationship with me. And as a result of me having this direct access in relationship to God, what flowed out of my life was a love for the law of God. It was actually originally intended that desire of the human heart would be to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, and to never disobey God to the point where David even reflects this in Psalm 119. When he's thinking about the law, he says, it's like honey to my taste. We weren't meant to be under the law. We were meant for the law to be under us in the sense that it was, it was flowing out of our life, a natural outflow. So, the question of the Bible, the tension from the book of Genesis on, is how can people be made right with God? In other words, how can they have direct access to God again? And the answer comes in vivid terms in Romans chapter 8. It comes many other places throughout Scripture, but Romans chapter 8, I think, is one of the most clear places where this reality of how this relationship with God is restored is found in the Bible. So Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's these two different laws. There's the law of sin and death, which we described. That's when you're trying hard to obey the law of God, but the law of God is tough as nails. It's like a ceiling that prevents you from having direct access to God. That's the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life preaches the gospel to you. The spirit's role in your life is to preach the good news to you. And the good news has a few different parts to it that, are, that show up in this passage. One is there's no condemnation in Christ. That's not because there's no condemnation. It's because all of the condemnation that you and I deserve was placed on Jesus. So Jesus paid the penalty for your guilt that the law was demanding of you. Penalty taken care of. The second thing that the law of the spirit of life tells us is that the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in you. So it's not just that your sin's been taken care of, it's when God sees you, he sees you as perfect. He sees you as if you were Jesus Christ himself. Because when you accept Christ, you're clothed in his righteousness, in his perfection. It's like you trade in a dirty set of clothes for a pure white set of clothes. And God looks at you and he says, that's my perfect bride. She's beautiful to me. And then the third thing that he does is he fills us with his Holy Spirit. So we actually have the ability and the inner desire to obey the law of God. So God's intention in that is to bring us out from under the law and actually to bring us into direct relationship with God so that what comes out of our life is an expression of freedom. The ability to love God and to love others. And what Paul's saying here is that life in the Spirit is the continual daily, moment by moment, realization that you are not under law, but under grace, that you are in relationship with God. Because here's what's happened. Even if if you become a Christian, what happens is you've spent so long living under the law that you end up forgetting every day that you're no longer under the law and that you're free in this relationship with God. And so what we tend to do It's although the prison cell is open and the declaration has been made, no condemnation, what we do is we stay hiding in prison. We refuse to walk out and to live the life that God has offered to us because we falsely believe that we haven't actually been set free. I was reminded of this reality um, just a, a few weeks ago, watching the movie Shawshank Redemption. So I just watched like the last 20 minutes. Every time it's on TBS, I always watch wherever it is to the end, right? If I'm flipping through the channels. So I get to, to the part where um, Red, he got, he got out of prison. So Red, the character played by Morgan Freeman, has been in prison for like 40 years. And he finally goes to, to his parole and they, they stamp on his form, you're out. You're done. The penalty's been paid for what, what you did. You're now free. And, and so he's freed, and he ends up working at a grocery store. And every single time that he has to go pee, he raises his hand. And, and, and his store manager's like, you don't have to raise your hand to go pee. Just go. When you gotta go pee, just go. And he narrates sort of over this scene, he says, when you've been asking to go pee for 40 years, it's a really hard habit to break. What's he saying? I was living under the law, under the condemnation of the law. When I got out from under it and I'm finally free, it's hard to break the old habits because I, I, I'm still remembering what that was like. And so many of us, we continually go back to feeling like we're condemned and like we're trying really hard to please God, but we can't ever do it. And what the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to this morning is this realization, you're free. You're free. You have the Spirit living inside of you who says there's no condemnation. You're righteous. You have the power to love and obey God on a moment-by-moment basis. But that's not all that the Spirit leads into us into. There's sort of a positive and a negative reality that's constantly pressing into us as followers of Christ. We're gonna start with the negative and end it on a positive note. But the negative aspect of this relationship that we have with the Spirit is that the Spirit is consistently exposing the works Of the flesh. Okay, so let's get into what that looks like. Starting with verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so Paul starts off here by saying that the works of the flesh are evident. Evident to whom? Evident to those of us who have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life to lead you into truth, and one of the truths that he leads you into is the truth about yourself, about your flesh. And what he begins to do in your life is to unmask these old, corrupt, human, sinful, and selfish desires. And Paul lists them here. And then he adds at the end, just in case he missed your particular sin, things like these. And what you'll notice about this list is that we would never put all of these things on the same list. Because you've got impurity and orgies on the same list. And you have dissensions and fits of anger on the same list. See, what we would say is orgies. You're going to stay away from that. That's really bad and destructive. Most of us would agree with that. Or fits of anger. That's a bad idea to just cuss people out and scream in their face. But we would say impurity, a little bit of sensuality, a little bit of sexual immorality, that's okay. Or a little bit of dissension or division, that's fine, but not getting real mad, being a rage monster, I would never want to do that. So what is Paul doing by placing these things on the same list? What he's doing is he's warning us about the destructive nature of sin, whether it's in sort of seed form or it's fully mature form. Okay, so think about with me for a moment about dissension. So you think of dissension, it starts with just a little irritation in your life. So imagine that you've got a roommate or a spouse. Of course, this is really hypothetical, right? And let's say that that person, leaves their dishes in the sink. And there, there is a little bit of dissension, even as you sit here this morning, hypothetically, about this. And, and you're like, you know, they left the dishes in the sink. You're like, oh, I hate when they do that. That's dissension. It starts there at the, at the level of your heart, where you begin, and set, instead of loving them the way that God loves you, you you're mad. It's dissension. And then what happens is, it happens two or three days in a row, even after you've asked them not to do that. I was like, this is, a, this is not just like something that they did. They are the type of person that leaves dishes in the sink. And that begins to, to grow. And then it's not just the dishes. It's also the laundry basket in, in the hallway. And it's got, got the laundry. And so you got the, they're the dish leaving type of person And they're the laundry stacking up in my hallway type person. And then it just crosses the line when they become the shoe in front of the door that I just tripped on person. And then it's like, this is boiling, maybe for weeks, maybe for months. And then you go to your connection group. And of course you share it as a prayer request. I'm having some some troubles, roommate problems. Can you guys pray for me? You know, you don't share it as, I didn't do anything. It's just roommate issues. And, and, and then, you know, it comes out a little later, you know, just you're telling them who it is, right? You're telling somebody in your connect group who it is. But it's not gossip because you just, you need their wisdom, right? You're not slandering them. <laughs> it's just, it's, we're just talking, right? We're just talking about it. And, and then what begins to happen is it, it begins, it builds, Right? And what happens is, if at any point in that whole process, it goes unchecked, it will eventually come out in a fit of rage. Anger. You will do something that you never thought you were capable of doing, and you won't even know why you're doing it. You will end up screaming in that person's face or being super passive-aggressive and instead of talking to them about that, just all of a sudden, you decide not to renew the lease and you're just gonna bolt from that roommate. Or if you're married, you end up doing something unthinkable like divorcing your spouse. And it all started with a dish in the sink and a dissension in the heart. You see, our sin is sort of like having a pet lion. Have you ever seen these people? This has happened a number of times. Every once in a while, an article will pop up, and I, I just have to read it. And some guy, usually, you know, living in Texas or something, has a has a pet lion, and he just gets this, like, little baby lion, and he names it Simba. And he, he loves little Simba, and Simba likes to eat meat, and so he tosses him, you know, a little sirloin in the backyard, and and the lion begins to grow, and he's out wrestling with the lion in the backyard, and they're they're spending time together, and and it's it's a pet, and he wants everybody to meet the pet, and then after a while, Simba gets a mane, Simba gets to be a big lion, and and he continues to have the same type of. Relationship with a lion, like this is, this is my pet lion and his friends are warning him, like this is kind of dangerous to have a pet lion. And then one day, this, this happened not too long ago, the guy goes in the backyard and the lion eats him. Just, eat, just kills him and eats him because that's what lions do. They're wild animals. And that's what sin does. It's looking for an opportunity to devour you. And so what we don't do is we don't encourage people to feed their sin. We don't coddle our sin. We don't call it by different names. We call it for what it is. Because we believe what the Bible says. We believe this warning that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which means we're talking about an eternal salvation issue right now. We're not messing around. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Paul's warning us. The Holy Spirit is convicting us. And there might be something specific that you've been calling by another name that you need to own. You need to be more afraid of the consequences of your sin than you are of other people looking at you differently or being afraid of the shame of being exposed. Because it's better to have a bad reputation with men and a good reputation with God than the other way around. So, the Spirit leads us to see our sin for what it is. But the Christian life isn't mainly negative. Sometimes we get a reputation as Christians as being people who are like the sin police. But that's not what this, this whole thing's all about. This whole thing is about a positive relationship with God, where the Spirit produces cultivated fruit in our lives where there's actually love and joy and peace and patience, we'll see. So verses 22 through 25 say this, "'But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit.' let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, so here's what Paul's saying. You can go out and on your own initiative pretty easily produce the works of the flesh. You can just go do sexual immorality, or you can go do jealousy, or those things come naturally to us. But he calls it the fruit of the Spirit Because you can't come at the fruit directly. The fruit is not something that we do, but it's something that's actually cultivated in our lives. Which is why it's the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruits of the Spirit. So in other words, he's not saying like, love is like a banana and joy is like a mango and peace is like a pear He's saying that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are an apple. And and here's why that's important. It's because it's one thing. And it has to grow organically in your life. So so you're going to get on a really bad path if you just say from this message, okay, I'm just going to work on being a more joyful person, a more loving person, or I'm really going to work on my anxiety and try to become a peaceful person because you won't actually become more of those things. You'll become less of those things. You'll just get really frustrated trying to produce them on your own effort because these things can only be produced as the Holy Spirit is made operational in your life. So there's a difference between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and walking by the Holy Spirit. To walk by the Holy Spirit is to cultivate the fruit in your life. So what I'm saying is, to become more like Jesus is a combination of God's work by his Spirit in your life and your work of cultivating that fruit in your life. So let me give you a few examples of what I mean by cultivating. That are usually listed along with other spiritual disciplines. So the first spiritual discipline that must be cultivated in your life in order for the fruit of the Spirit instead of the works of the flesh to begin growing in your life is a dedication and devotion to the Word of God. Okay, not just hearing the Word of God on Sunday morning, but actually a daily practice of getting into the Bible and reading a few chapters. So if this whole Christianity is brand new to you, I would recommend that you just start in Matthew and that you just begin reading a chapter, two chapters, three chapters a day. And what will begin to happen is that the truth of God's word will begin to push out the lies that are swirling around us all the time. Then what happens is as God begins to speak to us through his word, and we begin to develop this relationship with God, what we desire to do then is actually to communicate back to God, and that's called prayer. And prayer is just where we present our requests to God. We praise him, we talk to him, we spend time with him, not just by reading what he says, but also by responding to what he says. The other things that need to be a normal practice of our lives to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives are something that you've actually already done this morning, and that's the practice of worship, both corporately and in private, just to engage in praising God, to get our minds off of the distractions of the world and the things that we naturally worship and praise, like celebrities and sports teams and other things like that, and get our minds onto the one who's actually worthy of praise, that is a transformative, informative experience in the life of a Christian. And then last, but certainly not least, is the spiritual discipline of fellowship, of spending time with other believers. Scripture says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so we push connection groups at Salt City every single week because in order to grow as a follower of Christ and to continue to keep up with those other spiritual disciplines, you actually need people in your life who are going to walk next to you and encourage you to do that. And what all of these are pushing us toward is relationship with Jesus. You see, he makes it really simple here at the end. He says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. It's to belong to Jesus. It's to view being indwelt with his spirit as the most precious thing in the world and living to feed that spirit instead of our flesh in order to live joyfully and also to honor him. You know, it's really hard to illustrate this. Having another life inside of you and... And I thought maybe one of the best illustrations I could think of is um, watching my wife in pregnancy three different times, right? So she has this this baby, or in our case, multiple babies at one point, (laughs) inside of her. And what she hears from the doctor is, here's the things that you can't do anymore that will harm the baby. And, And here's the things that you need to eat and that you need to do in order to cultivate the life of that child inside of you. So she's always really good about xing out these things and doing these things faithfully. And that's because she cares more about the life inside of her than she does even about her own life or her own desires. And what God's calling us to is to care more about what he desires for our life than what even we desire for our own life. To feed not the flesh, which leads to death, but to feed the spirit, which leads to life. Now to end here, I just want to invite those of you who who walked in, and you would say, when you walked in, you were not a follower of Jesus. And I just want to make this really simple for you. I want to invite you into relationship with Jesus. Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. Anyone who wants to belong to Jesus is invited into his family to belong to him and start on this journey of becoming more like Jesus with us. Would love to have you be part of this church family but more importantly, part of the family of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you've not only offered us forgiveness and to be clothed in your righteousness, but you've also given us the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. And we sense that battle raging within us on a, on a daily basis. And we are tempted to give into impurity and sensuality and sexual immorality and fits of anger and all these different things. And, and we, we feel that and we need this reminder that that leads to death. Would you fill us with your spirit? And also, uh, we just want to be people that honor you. And so you help us take next steps to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.